Well, good morning, Rock Creek. Wow, I'm, I'm live. <laughs> okay, great to see you all. It really is a delight to be face-to-face, -face, and we want to welcome several who maybe are checking us out for the first time, and we want to thank you for being here with us today and worshiping together and opening God's Word together. I'm aware that there are several here, and maybe the first or second time, but even if it's your hundredth time, I'm, we're glad you're here. And my name is Stan, and my wife Deb and I have been uh, attending here at Rock Creek for almost two years now. Can you believe it? It's gone quickly. But uh, yeah, so I'm one of the elders, and I'm looking forward to looking into this passage. You know, we've been going through First Peter, and I have so enjoyed it, uh, because it's been so appropriate for the kinds of things that we've been experiencing in our world and our society. Hope in the midst of chaos has been our theme. And as we've wandered through First Peter, we've seen all kinds of um, kind of thread words or theme words that have come through. And I'd like to just uh, review that a little bit. He's talking to people who were actually strangers and aliens who were cast out of their home, who were in a different place, a different situation, and scattered throughout the world and yet chosen by God to be his children, to be his sheep, chosen for obedience and for sanctifying and given a great and a living hope. And we see that word hope spread all the way throughout 1 Peter, a living hope. And he's given us lots of reasons to be hopeful, lots of reasons to look forward to what is ahead. One of the things that we're coming up to today, though, uh, up to this point, he's been writing to the church in general, talking to everybody, all of the believers. And now he's going to focus and narrow a little bit onto a certain group of people, uh, the elders that have been given to the church to help their hope. I, I'd like to think of today's talk as being about hope with skin on, hope wearing skin, because I think that he's given and, and gifted uh, certain people to come into his, his church and his congregation in order to be a channel of his hope. Of course, Jesus Christ is our living hope. Hope is a person, and we just see that suffused all through First Peter. But he talks about us um, in anticipation of the glory that's going to be ours. After you have suffered for a little while, our God will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And so we see that going all through 1 Peter. So what is Peter going to offer as we come to chapter 5? We're in 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, what's he going to offer? The, the, the 12 habits of effective shepherds? Pastoring for dummies, I, you know, we've been kind of looking forward. What would you say? Because it seems like a shift. He's come to the end of what he was going to say to the church in general. And he says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now you elders, uh, he focuses on them. What's he going to offer? Let's find out. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 7 here. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive toward those who are older. 
and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility that, with toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the word of the Lord to us today. Well, someone was, when it's asked a preacher, how long did it take you to prepare that message? And the preacher thought for a minute, and he said, pretty near 60 years. <laughs> and uh, so, Peter, how long did it take you to prepare these thoughts that you've written down on the paper? Well, I think Peter would probably answer us pretty near 60 years. He was coming up on 60, I think, when he, when he wrote these, these words. And I would like to ask him, uh, Peter, where did you get this stuff? Now, I know the Holy Spirit, um, through the process of inspiration, carried Peter along so that what was written was exactly what God wanted to have written. But yet God does not obscure the life of the writer, the life of the secretary. He, he brings in all of the, all the experiences, all of the bents, all of the personality, and that shines through, through that beautiful process of biblical inspiration. So where did a brash, burly fisherman who would rather take a swipe at you with a sword than talk to you, where did he get this kind of information? Is it fair to say that we might not have heard these kinds of things from a young Peter? There's something to be said for seasoning. Um, I say more about seasoning now that I have more of it, I guess, but I, I cringe at some of the things that I did and said back when I knew all the answers. And I think that now I, I realize that I don't even know half the questions. <laughs> I know some things, but there's something to be said uh, to, to get a little bit further along the road. So, by the way, talking about further along the road, my wife Deb and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary about three weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you. So we have had a lot of seasoning during that time, and uh, we've worked out most things. You know, most things we're, we're doing pretty well on. There's one or two areas, though, that could still use some work. And um, so uh, one of those is a, a tendency uh, that, I, that we've seen and I'll use, I'll talk about person A and person B, just to, I, I want to preserve person, I, I'll talk about person A because I want to preserve her privacy first, okay? <laughs> so there's a tendency on the part of person A to assume that person B, and I'll preserve his privacy also, that, that person B has been following along with her thought processes for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Even though no actual verbal communication has taken place, there's a certain assumption there. And so therefore, that assumption means that it's not necessary to supply antecedents to the pronouns that are being used. Um, so the words like this, <laughs> words like this or that or him or her are sufficient. There's no need to bring in the antecedent. Now, what's an antecedent? Well, it's been a long time since grammar school for all of us. Antecedent just simply means what has gone before or what, what precedes that in order to make connections to what's happening right now in the moment. So we're working on that. Um, and I'm, we're learning to catch up, because that's the usual response. So, well, catch up. <laughs> so anyway. Um, <clears throat> so antecedents. I thought it would be fun, as we walk through this passage today, to ask Peter about his antecedents. When he says something, Peter, where'd you get that? Why did you say it that way? What went on in your life 
that made you say it that way. So I'm going to use a simple prop today. All right. Now I have it. Uh, I've I've done my research, and I've noted that Peter came from a little village on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Did you catch that? And so likely it was that he would push off and cast his nets in the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And so I, I have it on dubious authority that Peter would have worn a hat something like this. Okay. <laughs> So when I've got this hat on, you know I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. I, I hope you'll give me a little bit of dramatic license here, okay? It's not, the words are not going to be inspired, but anyway, that's the idea. So occasionally we'll ask Peter to step in, give us his version of things. So first of all, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Let's look at this word elder for a minute. It has a deep, deep meaning. It means old. Okay, <laughs> it's the word uh, presbyter. Uh, and you may have heard of presbycusis. What's that? That means old ears, old hearing. Presbyopia, that means old eyes. So the idea is elder. But that idea was not an unusual one to the people of Israel. So uh, elders were present in every village and they were uh, considered wiser and older men that were skilled in judging cases. And so they had a respected place in the synagogue. They were usually the ones to speak first and pray first and all of that. So it was natural then that this form of leadership might be taken into the church at that time. So there's several words in the Bible that talk about this particular position or this particular office. Words like overseer and shepherd or pastor and elder. And I would just like to get a flavor for what what's involved and what is the heart of someone who steps into this position? Now, I know that there's discussion in the body of Christ about whether uh, these words that I've just mentioned are all one and the same. And uh, our time doesn't permit to go deeply into that today. But just to say, I want you to watch and see what is told to the elders uh, from a couple of different places. First, I'm going to be looking at Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 through 31. It's kind of lengthy. Um, Miletus, from Miletus, oh, I want to explain what, what was going on. So Paul was um, heading back to Jerusalem, uh, and he had great suspicion that he was going to be in trouble once he got there. And so he was in a hurry to get there before the Passover, and he was sailing along the coast of Turkey, which is modern-day Turkey now, but uh, near a town called Ephesus. He didn't want to make the inland journey to Ephesus, and so he put off at a place called Miletus. Um, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Christ in our Lord Jesus. Boy, there's a job description. <laughs> That's a job description for an elder right there. Teaching publicly and from house to house and not hesitating to preach anything that would be helpful to you. So there are times when that's a tough thing uh, to do. There's a time when a pastor needs to, needs to uh, get in your face, actually, and to say things that are hard. But it's things that are helpful. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So that's Paul. That's that little glimpse into Paul's heart of what it means to be a shepherd. And we have actually lots of glimpses into Paul's heart on this uh, going through the New Testament. But we've just read Peter and we've just read Paul. And I noticed that it, each of them are addressing elders and each of them say, elders be shepherds, elders be shepherds. And so that is definitely on the to-do list of an elder, the person to whom he is addressing. So Peter, you say as a fellow elder, uh, how else do you describe yourself? He says a witness of Christ's sufferings one who was there, perhaps at a distance, to see Jesus strung out on a cross, one was, who was there probably at his flogging uh, in the courtyard, one who was there uh, and even denied him, even said, I have nothing to do with him uh, at that time. So these are raw and powerful memories in the heart of Peter. So he calls himself a witness of Christ's sufferings. And, and the word there is actually the word martyr. Now, uh, a witness, a martyr is one who is called not merely to see what happened, but also to testify about what he has seen. It's a different Greek word for someone who is just going to see, an eyewitness. Um, there's another word for one who is called to testify in a court setting. And more often than not, these witnesses, these apostles, uh, in fact, I think just about all of them ended up giving their lives for their testimony. So Peter might have used this opportunity to introduce himself in a maybe just a little bit more prestigious way, um, but he refrains from that. He might have used the opportunity to assert Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or Peter, who's kind of the, the chief, you know, kind of the leader, but he doesn't. He describes himself as a fellow elder and a witness, one who is going to see and also testify about what he has seen. And you know what, that is all that we're asked to do. <laughs> I, I mean, you may think sometimes, I, I really can't talk to anybody about what the Lord Jesus has done or meant in my life. I, I, I don't have a spectacular story to tell about, about great turning from darkness to light. I, I just, you know, I just, I'm just following him. Well, you know what, that's all that you're asked to talk about. That's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A witness tells what he knows. He doesn't tell what he doesn't know. Well, he also says, I'm one who will share in the glory that is to be revealed. P 
Peter certainly did share in the sufferings of Christ. We look back in chapter 12. He said, dear friends, verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter four, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The man who was writing this had deep scars in his back. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, all the apostles were taken and flogged. And if any of you have seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, uh, you know that flogging is something that is brutal and leaves deep scars. And so Peter knows of what he speaks. This isn't theoretical for him. But something about that suffering made him long and look forward to the glory that will be revealed in Christ. So Peter, where'd you get that? Why do you write so much about glory? Well, so there was a day when just John and James and I were pulled aside by Jesus and uh, made our way up a mountainside. And that wasn't unusual because Jesus, you know, he tended to go up on the mountain. He liked the mountains a lot. Most of the time he wouldn't take us along. He would just be up there talking to the Lord, to his heavenly Father. So. Anyway, we came along this time, and well, it had been a long day and a long night, and I was getting sleepy. And I, I looked over at James and John, and they were too. I think we started to nod off just a little bit, but suddenly, everything around us was brilliant white. Brilliant white, and I'm looking, what on earth is going on? Well, it was Jesus. <laughs> it was just Jesus. His clothes were as white as they could be, and his face shone with, like the sun. I couldn't even look. We had, to, we had to get down on our faces. And soon there were a couple guys with him, and I have no idea how I knew, but I knew they were Moses and Elijah. And I, I'm not known as a man who has the luxury a lot of times of thinking about what he's gonna say before he starts talking. I tend to just sort of react and respond, and I thought, this is it. This is the kingdom. This is what Jesus was going to bring to us. It's now. It's here. So I just figured we ought to build a few temples up there, a place to bring people to see Jesus in all his glory and Elijah and Moses. But just like that, it was over, and it was just Jesus. And I... He told us never to tell anybody about this until after he was risen from the dead. And you know what? I was a little bit relieved by that because I figured no one would believe me anyway. <laughs> but I think about that. When I think about this trouble that I'm going through now, my life seems so short and it isn't going to be long and I'm going to be with him again. So Peter, you're right, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. God's flock that is under your care. Where'd you get that, Peter? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, I'm not that glad you asked because I have to tell you a story that was hard for me. So Jesus had died. We watched that. We saw him again after he was raised from the dead. He told us to wait. Told us to wait. 
And I was kind of not sure what was going to be next. What's next on this narrative, Lord? What am I supposed to do with myself and my time right now? So I just said to the others, you know, we had a really good fishing business. We might, probably might, could be getting back to that. So I told James and John and some of the others said, we're going with you. So we were out all night on the Sea of Galilee and tired and cold. Suddenly someone hollered at us from the shore. There was something about his voice. He sounded like he might be a fisherman. And he said, have you caught anything? We said, no, thank you very much for asking. And he said, throw it out on the right side. And so we did. Something stirred deep within me when we couldn't even pull the nets up. I knew this had happened before. And John leaned over to me and he said, you know what, that's Jesus. And I already told you that I'm not a man who thinks very long, contemplates, I just generally tend to act. So I was in the water, heading toward him. About halfway along, I started to think, oh man, what did I just do? He saw me get in the water, there's no turning back now. And I'm not sure I'm ready to talk with him. After all, I'm the one who pulled out my fisherman's language and cursed and swore and, and denied that I even knew him. What's he going to say to me? Well, I made it to the shore. And there's something about his eyes. It's going to be written of him later on that his gaze was kindness, but his stare was stone. Somehow I saw both of those in his eyes. And, and yet he didn't lay into me. He just said, come have breakfast. That was a relief, I'll tell you. So we enjoyed some fresh fish. There's nothing like fresh fish on the Sea of Galilee in early morning, I want you to know. And then he pulled me aside and I thought, oh no, here it comes. He's going to run through with me everything that I did, everything that I spoke against him. But no, he just had a question for me. He just said, Peter, do you love me? I'd almost wished he'd lit, lit into me, to be honest with you. Peter, do you love me? I, what, what else could I say? But yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to me, feed my sheep. I pondered on that for a minute, and he said, Peter, do you love me? I said, yes, again. He said, tend to my flock. Take care of my sheep. He finally asked me a third time, and my heart was broken. Peter, do you love me? And I said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He just simply said to me, take care of my sheep. Now, you know, I wasn't very excited about that because sheep are not all that fun to take care of, to be honest with you. <laughs> they just are not. Uh, well, we'll go back to Stan. <laughs> All right. So, you know that shepherds are something that is, uh, they're all throughout Scripture, and God cares a lot about this process of shepherding, this act of shepherding. And I'm, uh, there's a, a passage in Ezekiel that I'm not going to read the whole thing about it, but it's a prophecy that came to Ezekiel against the shepherds of Israel. You know, our God describes himself as a shepherd. He describes his flock, and he has some certain standards for how his flock is going to be cared for. 
and the shepherds of Israel, the leadership in Israel, were not doing what God had intended. So he says to them, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep, my sheep, wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will, further on, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will tend them, verse 14, in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search back, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Wow, pretty strong words. But you get the feeling that the shepherds have a job description and it's not about them. The Lord cares deeply for his flock and his people. So then Jesus comes on the scene and he stands up in the crowd and he proclaims in a loud voice, I am the good shepherd. See that connection? That clear messianic claim would not have been lost upon the hearers that the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, was going to come himself and shepherd the flock with justice and with care and concern. And Jesus says, you know what? That's me. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you know what, I'm taking over. Uh, the other shepherds did not do what they were assigned to do. So that is echoing, Peter heard those words, that's echoing in his mind as he tells the elders, you know what, shepherd God's people, shepherd God's flock. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. You know, there's other scriptures from Paul that talk about um, the giving of finances. And he says, each man, each person should determine in their heart what they have decided to give and not reluctantly un or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And we often think of that in terms of money, but I think of that also in terms of our service. When we give, when we serve, 
It needs to be um, because we have decided to do that and because we are willing to serve others. It's not, um, I wanna tell you, a glamor position to be an elder or pastor or overseer or bishop. You're down and dirty with people in their lives and you are working with them through some very difficult times. But you know what? It is also a time of deep satisfaction, a time of deep wonder at watching God restore and bind up the injured. Um, Paul says, if anyone desires to be an elder or an overseer, he desires a good thing. So I hope you pray for your pastor and your elders. I hope you pray uh, that their hearts would be in tune with the sheep, that they would know them and they would serve because they're willing. I want to tell you it's a daily decision to get up and look in that mirror and say, you know, am I going to serve God, God's people today? Um, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Where'd you get that, Peter? <laughs> I wish you didn't ask. But there was a day when we were on the road again, on the road again, Sorry, I didn't plan that. <laughs> That's not in the notes. But we were on the road again, and I thought I was, I was getting some pretty good points scored because we were talking about which of us was really in charge among the disciples, among the ones who were following Jesus. You know, and I, I had laid in some pretty good arguments, I thought, that, you know, people come up and ask me whether or not Jesus is going to pay the taxes. And, and people generally come to me with questions. And so, anyway, it, it, it had gone well, I thought. But then we came to the meal and sat down. And Jesus, in his quiet way, said, so what were you guys arguing about on the road? And I thought, uh-oh, here it comes. None of us could say a word. But Jesus said this, just very simply, if anyone wants to be first... He must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and he had this child come and stand among us and he said, you know what? Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. So the thing about sheep, and by the way, um, if you want a good message on sheep, look up Ken Davis' Super Sheep. Anybody heard that? <laughs> well, it's hilarious. Anyway, it's a great, great, a great, great talk. Um, but he talks about the fact that the, the metaphor that gets used in the Bible to talk about us, humankind, is sheep. We all would rather be lions or something strong, like tigers. But no, we get to be sheep. And we get to be dumb sheep. We're not set in a pretty particularly nice light. You know, occasionally I, I hear that there's a tendency among us who follow Christ to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think and imagine that there's a difference between us and the rest of the world just in terms of our basic substance, our basic character, our basic what we're made of. And I, I want to tell you that the Bible's use of the word sheep is the great equalizer. <laughs> And sheep do not get cast in a very good light. Um, I, I've never herded cows before. Where's Diane? Is she here? Diane, you could, you could speak to this, but I understand that you herd cows from behind. You know, you do things that get them in line and make them move ahead. Sheep are not that smart. Sheep require someone to be out in front of them 
rather than behind them trying to herd them and get them to do things. They're not smart enough. They need to hear and see someone out in front of them that they know and trust. So they are not pushed, they are led. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A man named Anastasius uh, was an early church father and he said, the life should command and the tongue persuade. The life should command and the tongue persuade. And when the chief shepherd appears, Paul says, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This harks back to the Olympics actually, which were going on uh, at that time. And the little, the little wreath um, woven out of ivy or myrtle or some kind of leaves that would be given to the athlete who performed well and won the race. It was something that uh, was nice to have, uh, but it faded away, it, it withered, it crumbled. And what Paul is telling us is that those who serve um, uh, as shepherds and, and who tend the flock in the way that the flock needs to be tended, uh, that they will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. And when we get to Revelation, we see, um, and, uh, and I won't read through the verses, but there's a picture there of the whole universe really bowing down and worshiping the Lord God. And the elders are represented by 24 individuals, and they represent us, they, they represent the church. And they are laying their crowns before the Lord and saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to receive these crowns, these laurel wreaths um, that represent our lives, that represent those things that we have done to expose your glory and to bring you honor. We lay those down before your feet. And so I would just ask us to consider, what kind of life are you going to lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus uh, when you're with him? Is it going to be woven of those things that brought him glory and exposed his glory? I ask, my, I ask myself that all the time. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And again, that's following the theme. Uh, he's talked to us about submission all the way through. He's talked about the mutual submission that we need to have for each other uh, as we serve the same God and as we, as we work together uh, for his good. And then he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I'd ask Peter, but he's, he's taking a nap right now, so we'll leave him there. But where did this come from? Peter watched his Lord and teacher clothe himself with humility. The word is the one used for the servant who would bring up a towel and wrap it around his waist. That's, that's that nodding word clothing himself with humility. He who is the Lord and teacher, taking the lowest place and serving the others. So that was powerfully on Peter's mind as he comes to this passage then. So God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word there that's next that says humble yourself is actually passive and it is this, allow yourselves to be humbled by God. It means that God is the one that's gonna do the humbling through the experiences that he brings you through. And we need to be submissive to that and allow the humbling that God brings. You know what, COVID's brought one good thing, only one that I can think of. 
I think the world has been humbled. I happen to work as a physician, and I can't tell you the number of times in the last few months that I have used the words, I don't know. I've been doctoring for 34 years, and I have said I don't know more times in the last few months. We thought we were in charge of things, that we had the power to overcome anything, but we have been humbled. And you know what? Humbling, humility is not just groveling in the dirt. It's more a realistic assessment of who we really are before God. And so that's what this is about. Peter, what, what's been the sum total of your life? Uh, what's, what's the bottom line in all these stories that you have walked through? It is that I know who I am. I know that I am his humble servant. And I'm not a perfect man by any means, but God is pleased to use me. God is pleased to expose his glory through me. And then he says something that has been one of the most wonderful verses to me all my life. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Those of you who know me well know that anxiety is something that I struggle with. Um, and I, you know why I like this verse? Uh, other verses say, be anxious for nothing. This verse says, you gotta have some anxieties to be able to cast them on him, right? <laughs> I, I think this verse acknowledges that we are going to have cares. We are going to have anxieties, things that come up as we are engaged in this fight to bring about knowledge of him in this world. The word cast here is actually um, a word that means deposit with or leave by him. Leave next to him. Wow, is that ever special. Our God, our Lord Jesus Christ is qualified uh, to have those things that weigh upon me, those concerns that I have left beside him on deposit. Does it mean I'm never gonna play with them? No, I'm gonna play with them but I'm leaving them with the God who is in charge. I'm leaving them with the God of the universe. The words, he cares for you, mean he makes you stand his concern. You know, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I don't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I give my right arm for simplicity on the far side of complexity. What did he mean by that? So in my early life, I, I go along and I say, okay, yeah, God's got this. Yeah, I'm gonna be okay. God's got this. My early walk with Jesus. But then I went through all of this complexity, <laughs> you know, where the answers didn't seem to be there anymore and the questions seemed to be too hard. Uh, and I went through all of these experiences and I watched myself struggle with God, and I watched God struggle with all of those life experiences. And then I come out to this other side and I say, you know what, God's got this. But that is simplicity on the far side of complexity. And I think that's one of the reasons um, that, that Peter is able to say what he says right now. And to look back at his life and to be able to see um, all the ways in which the Lord shaped him and led him and disciplined him, brought, bringing him into a vessel that could be the elder that he is, the shepherd that he is, is a very precious thing. So to the elders among you, <laughs> Peter says, you know what? This is a hard time. You're going through chaos. 
Nero is on his throne. Um, people are being killed. They are, we saw the torches. We saw the pictures of the human torches. We saw the terrible oppression that they were experiencing. And Peter says that he's praising the Lord because of the living hope that has been given to us. Jesus, the one who we are serving, is coming back. He is going to be revealed in glory. By the way, Lord, it could be today. I, I, hope, I hope you've picked today, <laughs> quite frankly. And so he says to them, this is what you are going to need to be, those of you who wish to be shepherds. He doesn't say these are the 12 steps for an effective shepherd or, or pastoring for dummies. He doesn't say that. He says, this is what you are going to need to be in order to shepherd my people. You are going to be doing this willingly. You need to be doing this willingly and not under compulsion. If you can do anything else, go ahead, do that. <laughs> but serve because you are willing, not because you must. Don't be greedy, um, but eager. Don't be a lord over those you're serving. Don't push the sheep from behind, but lead them from the front. Be the kind of person that they would want to follow as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a following endeavor. This is a following endeavor. So all of you, clothe yourselves with humility and cast all your anxiety upon him. Cast all those cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus is hope wearing skin. He is still in his skin, by the way, and yet he is still right here. And yet even further, he indwells us. He lives within us to be our strength. That is, if you are his sheep. So you know what, you, you get to be dumb sheep. Uh, that's just the way it is. But the difference, if there is one, between those who follow and those who don't, are that we are his dumb sheep. Okay. Everyone gets to be a sheep, and so you're either heading away from him who is the good shepherd, or you're just heading toward him. Either way, we don't have our act together. Either way, we're riddled with anxiety. Either way, we have gone astray. But the Lord in his kindness to us, our great shepherd put skin on so that he could bleed and give his life for the sheep. And I wanna tell you, that's a God worth following. <laughs>